My guest for this week's episode is a very young, rising up-and-coming female broadcaster and the current voice of the Cal League's Visalia Rawhide and the first female play-by-play voice in the Cal League. My guest is Jill Jaren. If you like this episode, please rate, subscribe, and review the Blind Broadcaster Podcast on your favorite podcast directory. If you have suggestions, ideas, on how to make the show better, by all means, please feel free and email me at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com You can find me on Twitter at king underscore tsb and if you'd like to send me a Facebook request or Facebook message me please revert back to the email address I gave at the top of the intro. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with the voice of the Visalia Rawhide Jill Jaren. This is the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, a Believe Podcast Network production. Well, we did episode nine, now we do episode 13. Yeah, not in chronological order, but oh well. We just do what we can at work. Jujarin, the voice of the Vesalia Rawhide, is with me. And... How did you get your start, or when did you know broadcasting for you was going to be what you wanted to do? Yeah, so I was 13, and, you know, in middle school, I went to a small middle school, and the boys were talking about football, baseball, all that, and I started chiming in, and they were like, oh, you know a lot of sports for a girl, you know, that kind of normal stuff that boys say mm. at that age, and, I went and talked to my mom about it, and she joked with me, well, you talk a lot, and you lock, and you like sports. Why don't you go into sports broadcasting? And I, you know, took that to heart, and <laughs> 13-year-old Jill just kind of ran with it. And I didn't really do anything sports broadcasting-related in high school. Um, knew I wanted to do it, so I went to college and majored in journalism and I was really lucky to get the internships and the opportunities that I had in order to get this job with Visalia, but it kind of just fell perfectly into my lap. But um, I do remember my eighth grade graduation, I was speaking and I told everyone that I was going to be the play-by-play broadcaster for the Boston Red Sox. So I was pretty dead set on being a broadcaster when I was 13 years old. Well, you didn't get the Boston Red Sox game, but you're in a organization at least close to the big leagues. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I did intern for the Red Sox my senior year of college, and I got to be in the booth uh, for the 2018 season. So, you know, as close as you can get. (laughs) Yeah, about the size of it. So when you interned with the Red Sox, or let's back up. What were you doing on your first internship gig? And so it was probably unpaid. I was lucky. It was paid. Wow. Um, and it was, it was not sports related. Um, 
so that maybe that's why I was paid. <laughs> but um, I was actually in Atlanta as a uh, production assistant intern for a show called Lauren Lake's Paternity Court. And I moved to Atlanta within two weeks of getting the job. And that was kind of my first big girl moment where I had to figure out a place to live, figure out how to talk to landlords and all of that. So it was a good growing up process for me. And I was just helping with editing, helping the director, producers, whatever they needed. So that was my first internship, just kind of like getting into the business because it's hard finding internships unless you have experience. And then after that, I was able to get an internship at Channel 7 in Boston in the tape library. And then I met the sports director there and got an internship in the sports department the next semester. And that was, I believe that was my third internship. I also interned with USA Softball when I was 20. I did social media for them and the junior Olympic team came to Massachusetts. So I was kind of their like escort, I guess, <laughs> um, escorting them around Massachusetts, making sure they had everything that they needed, just kind of working hospitality with them. And then the final internship was with the Red Sox. So were you doing, t were you in the TV booth or did you just go from TV, radio back to TV with the Red Sox? So radio, I was, it was radio. I was in the radio booth uh, with, it was WEI. Yep. And so I was with Tim Neverett, Joe Castiglione. Um, I was basically their booth statistician. I would look up stat, whatever stats they needed. If I saw something going on, I would hand them a note card for them to read. Um, I would be in the clubhouse before and after games, getting audio from players, uh, make sure we have the correct player for the post-game interview, that kind of thing. So with all those internships, what did you feel like you took away from all of them? Uh, just always say yes and have a smile on your face when you say yes. <laughs> um, there's, I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, that I didn't enjoy. Every internship has that part of it. There wasn't really any part of the Red Sox job that I didn't love because I was at Fenway Park every day. But, you know, my first internship, it was an awesome experience. I love the people that I worked with, but it wasn't sports and my heart is in sports and that's what I wanted to be around. So I think it was kind of a good stone for me. But yeah, I think overall, it's just put your head down, work hard and always say yes and make sure you're smiling while you do it. What was your first PHP gig? My first what? Play-by-play -play gig. Ah, uh, that was the Nashua Silver Knights of the NECBL, and I did only maybe 10 games with them. Uh, that was kind of my first play-by-play -play gig outside of college. I did maybe three games in college. Um, but that was my first one. I got it because Tim Neverett's brother, BJ Neverett, was the manager of that team, the Silver Knights. And he kind of said, you know, they need a broadcaster. You might as well go get some reps in so you can actually have a demo reel. And so I did that, got a few decent clips where I was able to put together a reel. And I did a few mock games in Fenway. I was really lucky that their media relations people were able to hook me up with the empty booth one day. And also with the Pawtucket Red Sox, I was able to get a few mock games in there as well because I knew the um, president, 
Dr. Charles Steinberg. So that's actually another internship I forgot. I interned with the Pawtucket Red Sox where I helped with their opening day ceremonies and um, kind of helped their on-field MC, that kind of thing. I forget about that one a lot, not because it wasn't fun and not because it wasn't important, but because it was at the same time where I was doing two other internships. So I was running around a lot. So when you were doing the Silver Nights, where did your where did your journey lead to after the Silver Nights? After that, besides going the Passage, Red Sox, Silver Nights, and everything yeah. else in between, running around well, with the chicken with your head cut off. Yeah, it was crazy. I was working in three different states because the Nashville Silver Knights are in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. I was also interning with the Red Sox in Mass. And then the Pawtucket Red Sox are in Rhode Island. So I was running around three different states. So the timeline with that is I got the Red Sox gig my senior year, April 2018. And in the summer, and I was also with the Pawtucket Red Sox at that point as a part of a directed study. And that continued into the summer. The Red Sox was obviously April through September. So those overlapped. And then Tim with the Sox, he told me you should go do something with the Silver Knights. So that was about June to August. So it was a crazy summer, lots of bus trips and train rides to get all over the place. I was lucky enough to have some places to stay. My aunt uh, lives in Salem, New Hampshire. So I was able to stay with her. I had a friend who lived in Rhode Island and I had an apartment in Boston. So it was a fun, crazy summer. Where did you feel like prepping for all these teams in three different states? How much did prep work play a part for you when you were going three different spots? And, you know, depending on what you had to do that particular day, how did you get all your prep work in? Uh I think I had to prep mainly for the Silver Knights. The Red Sox wasn't, you know, they do all the prep work for you. They give you game notes. They give you stat sheets and all of that. Um, So that made my life a lot easier. The Silver Knights was hard because I had to try to keep up with the games and, you know, a quote-unquote normal broadcaster. You see them every game and you know them really well, but I only did 10 games. I was in and out because of my other obligations. So I had to really be looking at stats. I was trying to watch uh, their games when I wasn't there. I would have their like stat cast up during the Red Sox game when I was working to kind of make sure that I was keeping track of that. Um, so they had a lot of prep work. I did a lot of my notes um, on during the bus trips and everything. Um, and interviewing players, I always got some good stories from them at least. That was something I leaned heavily on. Uh, with the Silver Knights. With the Red Sox, you know, prep work was important, but I wasn't the one talking. I was giving the notes to the people talking. Um, So that was more, I made sure that I would watch the Red Sox and they were on the road because I didn't travel. Um, Making sure that I read all of the game notes, went through the stat packs. I was, for a seven o'clock game, I was at the field by three, the latest for the Sox. So that one was a lot of prep work. I didn't need to do prep work for the Paw Sox in terms of broadcasting because I only did one or two mock games there. And, you know, I would look up the guys and make sure I knew what was going on. But the Paw Sox was really more for me to kind of get my feet under me in terms of making sure I had good pace of play and making sure I didn't screw up too many times on the microphone, that kind of thing. Um, And then the Silver Knights was where I would practice weaving in stories and getting to know these guys on a more personal level. 
So after all three of those internships finished up, then where did the roadshow take you next? Yeah, so... After you finished up all three of those? Yeah. So, uh, you know, Red Sox ended in October, won the World Series in 2018. And I didn't have a job. I, during the Red Sox, I was looking for a job and is actually during the playoffs when it was during the ALCS when the Red Sox were playing the Yankees. We had a, mm-hmm. I think it was game two in Fenway. I, I remember that series. Yep. I found out I got the Visalia Rawhide job, which was so much fun to tell everyone that I've been working with that I got it. I got to tell Jessica Mendoza and Susan Waldman who were there for the games. So it was, it was really awesome. Um, and it was nice because then I was going to start in January because I needed to finish with the Red Sox and finish up my lease. And it just made more sense to wait till after the holidays to start. So I got to just enjoy Boston and work as much as I could to try to save up money. Um, I think I was working two jobs for the last two months. I was working at Boston College just in the concessions, um, managing concessions there. And then I was coaching softball at my alma mater as well. So... Since you've been the broadcaster for the Rosalia Rawhide, what was the toughest adjustment when you started to where you are now with the Rawhide? I mean, I had, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> like, I, I didn't know how to set up the equipment. That was all new to me. I, because it, it was different with with the paw socks and with my mock stuff, I just did it into my phone or into a tape recorder. I didn't have all this equipment that I needed to work with. So that was new to you me. Didn't have a, you didn't have a board. You didn't have headsets. You didn't have a broadcast. Like you didn't have sponsors. You're like, okay, what am I doing here? Yeah, it was completely new to me. And, you know, I don't only broadcast. I also run social media. I do media relations. I'm helping with community events. I'm helping with a lot of different things and so you're just trying to take it all in and figure out what to do and then once season happened I think after the first two to three weeks I kind of figured out where my place was what to do that kind of thing but it's also just a very different dynamic where with the Red Sox I didn't really interact with the players a whole lot I'd interview them but they kind of just knew me as the radio intern that kind of thing and then with the Silver Knights, I knew them on a more personal level because they're college kids. They're my age. It was a little bit easier. And then with the Rawhide, I mean, they're my age too, but it's different. It's professional. It's You just kind of have to figure out where you belong and you have to, you know, read the manager, read the players, that kind of thing. Read how the team um, wants you to interact because I know some teams really don't want you interacting with the players, not even really during PP. I've heard some horror stories of that. And, you know, I was lucky enough where they said, as long as you get your other work done, you're able to go to BP, um, get interviews, that kind of thing. So it was, it was a good transition. It was just kind of me figuring out what the heck to do. <laughs> so as the lead broadcaster with the teams, like with all the things that you do now, what do you feel like you're still having to adjust to, even though you've been there for now, what? two years three years now this will be my second second yeah okay Uh, um, what do you still feel like you're adjusting to and what do you feel like has gotten much easier after the first year um like i said i feel like i kind of know my place 
Keep going. So it'll be easier for me. I don't have to build those relationships again. You know, we'll have a good amount of return yeah. players. Pretty easy that way. Um, I think I'm, I mean, right now with what's going on with uh, COVID-19 pandemic, mm -hmm. I'm kind of figuring out how to run social media. I mean, I've kind of always helped with it and I would run Twitter, but now it's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter that I'm doing. And, you know, I'm, I'm with how we interact with fans and how we're kind of like keeping us relevant right now during all of this. So I'm getting a lot of experience from there. Um, yeah, it's going well though. <laughs> So I mean, with all this going on, I know we were you were talking at the at our little STA meetups that we have hung out on a few more than once about you know interviewing players about how to keep themselves sharp and how to not go stir crazy as a broadcast with all the content that you're trying to put out that to at least keep the fans of the rawhide engaged. Besides the players, how is it, you know, for you as a broadcaster? Because I know, like me and like you, I know you want to get back to work. But unfortunately, there are other things that are out of our control that's not allowing us to actually do the jobs that we are wanting to do. Right. I think it's, I mean, I'm great. I'm, I'm grateful to have a job. I'm fully employed. Um, I'm grateful that I'm down in L.A. with my parents right now being safe. But I want to broadcast. That's <laughs> Plain and simple, it's what it is. Um, I've been getting a lot of critiques from my reel recently, and I, I want to work on them. You know, I have stuff to work on, and I want to improve and get better, and it's really frustrating. Um, what I'm using this to do is, you know, interview a bunch of players. I think I've interviewed about 10 so far, and I'm just trying to work on my interview skills and work on that kind of aspect as well, because I, you know, I do interviews for broadcasts and everything, but sure. the raw high video board this year so I want to work on more you know more camera work kind of sideline stuff like that um so this is a good practice for me that's what I'm trying to work on during this and you know become overall just a better employee in terms of I'm getting a lot of experience in social media where you know god forbid broadcasting doesn't work out or something I'm gonna have a pretty pretty stacked resume to get something else in either media relations or community relations so when your first year, you pretty much get every game solo except for a few that you simulcast. Yeah. What were the differences comparing when you did it solo to when you actually simulcast with the other team's broadcaster in the league that yeah. you're in? Yeah, simulcast was fun. So, I mean, these guys are veterans. They're, I think I'm the youngest one by five or six, five or six years, something like that. Mm -hmm. So... I was really able to learn from them. And like I said, like, I didn't know what I was doing. I, before I took this job, I broadcasted maybe 20 games total by myself. It, I, I was very fortunate to get this job and they really helped me because afterwards they would say, do this, do that. Just like the small little things that make you better. Like mm -hmm. I would say ground ball to Duznak and Zach Bay Rudy, who's now with the Reno Aces, but he was with the courts at the time. He told me, say shortstop Camden Duznak, not just Duznak because they're going to forget where this person's playing. And I said, okay, that makes sense. Like just little things like that, that make sense. 
but you wouldn't think to do it unless someone told you. So that was really helpful for me. And it's just easier going back and forth with them. And I mean, quite frankly, you still need to prep, but you didn't need to prep as much because at that point in the season, it was June. I knew my players. I knew what they were doing well and they knew their players. So I didn't really need to prep as much on the other opposing team. And of course, that would mean you, since you said the Stockton Ports, that means you're with the Ranch Cucamonga Quakes and a very good friend who I've talked to and emailed over the years, Mike Lindskog, who is still the voice over there. Yep, yep, he's doing well. Actually, all the Cal League broadcasters, we get together every Thursday night and just talk. I think we were on Zoom for like four hours yesterday. <laughs> awesome. Now, I'm de- I'm want to try to get at least a few baseball people in here if I can because yeah. I'm a huge baseball nerd. And yes, I'm kind of I'm missing baseball because I do like to get a chance to go listen to other leagues and the other leagues and other teams that they're actually streaming, so I can get an idea of you know how they do their games and their coverage. Right. Because you you always want to figure out how somebody's doing their coverage. You want to figure out okay if they're you know they're doing this, how can I apply that to what I'm doing, even though I'm not in baseball. But you always want to be having an ear out for the type of broadcast they're doing. And you're like, hey, how can, you know, this be applied? Because you're always trying to study. Right. And listen. Yeah. And sometimes it's not even applying to what it is. It's learning what they're doing and saying, oh, I'm pretty sure that's not going to work for me. And you try it out and you realize it doesn't. Even that's a good learning process, too. How tough was that when you, you know, started to talk to the Cal League broadcasters when you got the critiques or you went back and listened to their stuff and you're like, oh, because you're the newbie on the job. You're, you're basically green as grass and trying to figure out, you know, what works for the broadcast, what doesn't, what, you know, I feel like I can you know, bring to the table without watering your own wine, basically bring your own style. How did you figure out what you wanted to keep and what you basically got rid of as clutter for you? Yeah, I I mean, I was super insecure. I, I still am not super uh, confident with my broadcasting skills and, you know, you're always your own worst critic and when I first did a simulcast, I was so nervous. It was with Zach Bay Rudy. And I mean, he's the nicest guy ever. And he and I got along really well because he's originally from Worcester, Mass. And he knew Joe Castiglione too from Northeastern and all that. So it, it was a very natural transition for me. I think we were pretty good together. It was, I was just nervous. I, like I said, I didn't have a whole lot of experience before this job and I was not confident with my skills. So I think I was just nervous that they were going to be like, who is this clown on the microphone right now that I'm letting on my my broadcast? <laughs> um, but I'm no, right with I mean, you because you're doing the broadcast and you're listening and you look like, okay, especially when you're flying solo. Besides having yeah. somebody that's you're, you're giving you information, you hope and pray you don't screw it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was – it was good. I mean, their critiques were pretty minimal from the simulcast. You know, Bayrou gave a few. Um, 
Keaton globally gave a few. He's with the Modesto Nuts. Um, the longer critiques were when I've sent out my demo reel to other people and they've given me like a laundry list of things. And Zach actually, um, I sent mine to Zach as well. And he came back with some things to work on. And he just said, you know, I've heard you before, obviously, when we did it together and you've improved a lot and I'm just proud of you. And I was really excited to get Zach's um, critiques because he did hear me about halfway through the season and I've improved a lot since then. And I was just happy that he gave me that validation. Um, but yeah, like you said, it's, I think a majority of the critiques I've taken to heart. I don't think there's very many that I haven't. Um, no one's really kind of bashed my style or anything. My style is very relaxed and laid back. Um, I think baseball is fun. So I want to make the broadcast fun. And whenever I mess up, I usually laugh at myself or something like that. You know, it's, um, and the majority of the people listening are players, girlfriends, friends of the players, or parents, mm. sorry, parents, family so, members, and players and stuff. So they just want to have fun, too. They just want to hear how their boy's doing. Um, so I just try to make it as fun as possible. And for the most part, all the critiques I've taken to heart and I want to work on for next season. When you worked with Mike last year, what were your first thoughts working with Mike or when you actually got a chance to meet him and – Vice versa, when you played the Quakes, I don't, know, I don't know how the schedule lays out for the Cal League in single A. Yeah, so the Rawhide's in the Northern Division, and the Quakes are in the Southern. So we played a few times, but he came up in the first homestand. So I was still, like, running around with my, chick with my uh, head cut off, basically, like a chicken with their head cut off. And Mike is high energy. Like, I think I looked over to him in the middle of an inning, and he was just, like, dancing. Like, like, I think he must have been dancing to the music that was going on during commercials or something, but it was just so funny. He's just so laid back and he's a lot of fun to work with, but, um, I feel bad for the first like two to three guys who saw me at home because I was just a wreck. I did like, I was again, trying to figure out where my place was and all that. So, um, but no, he's been a lot of fun to get to know and I didn't travel a lot with the team when I did I would um, pay for it myself and drive myself I wouldn't take the bus with the team so um, I didn't really get to know these broadcasters on a different level because when you go on the road you sometimes you'll go grab a drink with them after go grab dinner and I didn't get to do that with Mike but I'm excited to get to know him a little bit more once I start traveling again. When you did the first few games and the first few homestands like You feel like you had to prove yourself. You feel like you had to earn your stripes, pay your dues, and so on and so forth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. When you, as a lady in this industry, yes, I'm going to say ladies because I don't like the way sometimes how we as men come off as male chauvinistic because that's just pathetic in this day and age of, you know, broadcasting because females are coming alive, come a long way in the broadcast field, and I respect the heck out of that. But as a female broadcaster, do you feel like after the first couple of games, you finally feel like you got your feet under you? It's like, okay, I can do this. It was my second game. The first game was just atrocious, absolutely terrible. I blacked out. I have no idea what I said. Um, it was just all bad. And then it was after the second game that I texted a few of my family members and friends and said, like, I'm a professional broadcaster. 
Like I, I just did that, you know, um, at 22 years old, third woman in minor league history, first in the Cal league. It, it was really cool. Um, I think after I got a few more critiques and I kind of figured out how I was going to end my broadcast, how I was going to go to commercial every inning. Once I kind of got that routine down, I felt a lot more comfortable. Like, okay, once you get that stuff, the in-between inning stuff, that's going to come with a lot of work and a lot of reps and you might as well just get as many as you can. So, and that's why I traveled a lot on my own because doing a hundred games is way better than 70 games. And, you know, we're not going to get 140 games in the season more than likely, but oh, no. in 2020, I'm going to try to get 140. So I, I probably, I probably, if I'm just guessing, probably more like if everything works right, maybe 85, maybe 90. Maybe, maybe even less than that. Yeah, I I'd be happy with seventy. Yeah, probably half. I'm, I'm, you know, is it, you know, I'm thinking like, whenever they start the season, depending on where they, you know, start the season, you're not going to make those games up. So you're just going to have to play what you what you can play. Yeah. If there's a season at all. But yeah, what are the I, again, I'd be happy with seventy. <laughs> So, like, what are the biggest things when you go back and listen to your stuff from year one and all the critiques you're looking for? If there is a year two, what are your biggest weaknesses you're looking to make your strength this year that and the strengths you're looking to continue to build on? There's a few, um, um, where like phonetical stuff that I want to work on. I don't know if that's a word, I might have just made up a word. <laughs> um, with um, good enough we'll go with it (laughs) (laughs) with the way i'm pronouncing things um you know i've had a few people point out the way you need to say the versus the and enunciate a little bit more um which i think i need to work on specifically and really focus on that because my style is so laid back like i'm just trying to have a conversation with them i need to have a conversation with them in a little bit more of a proper manner i guess is the way that i'm going to try to take that um, I want to try to weave more stories in now that I kind of have a decent pace of play. You know, it's not always perfect. Um, I want to try to weave in more stories. And I think I did a good job of getting stories. I just didn't really weave them in as effortlessly as I would like to. Um, so those are the two big ones. And yeah, <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of others. But those are the two big ones that like I want to get down this season. Let's go on the topic of storylines. When you did year one, you said you didn't weave them in properly. How did you know what the story, how did you feel like you had an idea of what the storyline was going to be for that particular game? And how much do you feel like you either stuck, kind of stuck with the storyline or the game? Because we, as we know in this broadcasting business, that Games take you in totally different directions than you think it's going to be because you go down so many rabbit holes, and yet the storyline that you think you're going to get is not there, and you really can't stick to that storyline because something's going to change. Right. I think it's hard because the the Rawhide were so good this year. I mean, there were not many losses (laughs) at all. Um I mean, we clinched a playoff spot in June, early June, the first, second week of June. And wow, that so was it, quick. It was, it was fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, the storylines were always pretty light, pretty happy. 
Um, I think my stories, you know, you try to talk about the impact of this game, the impact of a game on a specific player, even because all of these guys are just trying to develop and make it to the bigs. Sure. So you talk about pictures and I try to weave in little tidbits of them. If there's a funny story. Um, I mean, I made a point to get to know a lot of these guys personally and even sometimes their family members, if they visited, I would just, it would just kind of happen. I mean, Visalia is a really small ballpark. We only have 1,888 seats. Is that so, the smallest ballpark in the league? Sorry to cut you off there. because In terms of seats, it is. I don't okay. think in terms of dimension, but right. um, we fit about, you know, 3,500 with all the group outing areas and the pasture and whatnot. But when when the players' families come, you can figure it out pretty well, or their wives and their girlfriends, you can figure it out. And I would try to introduce myself, just say hi, that kind of thing. Um, but it was just fun to get stories from that and get to know them. And I, that's why I always wanted to be around BP. You see their personalities a little bit more. You hear funny tidbits to talk about. Um, I mean, one of my favorite stories to this day is Josh Green. And memorize his name because he's going to make it someday. Uh, he, he was – he became a pitcher in college and – he has a decent swing. I've seen him during pitchers BP, but he could not hit in high school. He went one for 32 and his one hit was a home run. So he always says, I made that one hit count. And it's just, it's just so much fun talking to them and getting to know all these fun stories. So I think that's what I mean by trying to interweave those, but you know, you can't talk about that fun stuff when the team's losing by a lot. It's hard to do that. You then need to kind of focus on okay, this is what this guy's trying to work on. That's what this guy is trying to do. And it kind of depends on the tone of the game. But I was lucky enough that there weren't very many games we were losing like that. And I know a lot of broadcasters don't go around BP, and I know there are some that do because they, you know, want to get stories from the players, want to see, you know, what the player's working on and being around the batting cage, doing player interviews and doing the manager's chat for you like besides watching what a player is working on getting player interviews from the batting cages managers report if you get the if you get the chance to squeeze that in unless there's a unless there is a specific day the manager wants to do the manager show for the pregame show mm -hmm. what things what other things besides the basics that i just mentioned are you, you know, looking to get from watching BP besides what they're working on, player interviews, things like that? Like, Yeah. It's honestly, in the beginning, I was just trying to get them comfortable with me because I didn't travel with them. So when you go on the road, you get all these weird, funny stories because it's the minors. You have all these absurd things that happen. A bus breaks down. It gets broken into. You have an issue with a hotel reservation, stuff like that. And I didn't get all those experiences. I traveled with the team on the bus a total of three times and two of them were in playoffs. So it didn't get to happen very often for me. And so in the beginning, I just wanted them to feel comfortable, like joking around with me and having that kind of relationship and conversation. And honestly, because I don't just broadcast, I also have to do some promotional shoots and whatnot. So if I'm around them and kind of help them. Sometimes they would ask me, hey, I don't have time to go buy the shirt. If I give you money, will do that for me? Or, 
hey, I forgot to put my girlfriend on the pass list. Can you like get her on the pass list for me? And I'd help them out with that. And because I kind of scratch their back, they scratch mine and I say, hey, I really got to get this social media post up today. Can you wear this hat for me and pose? So that was a huge part for me where every single promotional shoot that I needed, every single interview that I needed, they did it for me. And it's because I made a point to be around them a lot and to have them feel comfortable with me. Any memorable media shoots in your first year that you've done that stick out? Yeah. So we had a Lucha Libre night <laughs> and we wanted to get the players involved. So we had them where they're, we had a lot of Latin American players last year. And so we grabbed three of them and I handed them like Lucha masks, you know, those like crazy painted ones that uh, wrestlers wear. Yes. And I was nervous because I was like, oh God, <laughs> the guys aren't going to wear this. They're not going to think it's funny. And I hand them the mask and they said, hell yeah, this is going to be awesome. So we grab these chairs and we do this in the parking lot in front of a sign about Lucha Libre. And I'm like, all right, I need you guys to like fake hit each other with these um, chairs. And so we just like had a fake WrestleMania between these three rawhide players wearing Lucha masks. And it was, it was just a lot of fun <laughs> to see their personality with that. And, and because you get that, that's an awesome story. Not sure. only do you have a great story, you, I mean, I get to have fun. I mean, I, I do this because I want to have fun too, you know? So I'm enjoying it. I get a great story for that night. I get to plug by talking about that, the Lucha Libre wrestling match we're going to have in a few weeks. So people hear about that. I can mention sponsors that way. So it, it's a win-win. Speaking of sponsors, how many live reads are you doing per broad when you started out? Like how many live reads or spots do you usually try to fit in like pregame wise, game wise, post game? I don't, I don't have any pregame. I'm, I'm so I'm not with a flagship station or anything. Mine's just on tune in app. So I can kind of, I can kind of start whenever I want, which is nice, nice. Um, nice because I do run around before the game, especially when our intern had to go back to school. I had to be down in the field sometimes for like the ceremonial first pitch and all of that. So um, I don't really do any pregame. Right. Uh, postgame, I have not like live reads, but kind of plugs where I have to mention who the starter player of the game is sponsored by steel. I have to mention the post game show is sponsored by the Wyndham, um, that kind of stuff. And then during the game, every single pitching change, I have to do a read for Rescom. Right. Whenever there's a ball that leaves the ballpark that might hit a car, we have to do a read, um, that kind of stuff. But in terms of in the middle of the game, I've gotten pretty good at working in. I have to do the first strike out of the game always. There's a double play sponsor, um, that kind of thing. But that, that stuff's pretty easy to work into um, because it's cued by plays. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't really have any live reads that I have to just work into for no reason. So that's, that's good for me. Yeah, because I always wondered that, especially because I wasn't sure if you had like, you know, like a – log for the pregame or anything like that but since you're basically doing everything on tune in 
Yeah, is it, it's not. Is it is it basically only in house production in a roundabout way? But I guess without without basically a billboard to cue you in, like for the broadcaster or what, vice versa. Or... Oh yeah, yeah. I can choose when to start and uh, all that stuff. Um, I want to get a little bit more uniformed with it. Um, that's another goal for this year. Like always starting at a certain time, whether or not whatever's happening. Um, I don't know. And then I did get to experience with the Red Sox that we'd have these reads that need to happen, whether or not a play happens. And I, if I ever do get plays or reads like that, I kind of know how to work them in just from watching Joe and Tim do it, where you do it when it's a foul ball, but it doesn't leave (laughs) the, uh, the field so the ball girl or player needs to go get the ball so you make sure you have all of that so i kind of if i ever have to get those i i think i can figure out how to weave them in and i know for the goal for every baseball broadcast is you up to the big leagues and if you're working with the red sox and now with the Vasilia rawhide what are your goals over the next little while to hopefully get you to the big leagues at the big league level. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I really want to do some more freelance work in terms of sideline reporting. Uh, um, I don't know happened this year. It's difficult for me because I am full-time outside of season as well. So it would be hard to do that. Um, I think I could work something out with my owner if I went to him. Um, but that'd be something that I'd have to work out and kind of figure out how the heck to even do that. Um, but in terms of moving up to the majors, you know, I was going to start actively looking after the season and that's something that my owner and management know. Um, I was going to just start putting feelers out there, see what's going on, but, uh, depending how many games I get underneath my belt, I don't know if I'll be ready for the jump to double A because I'm in a high A ball right now, Yep. but you know, just start putting out feelers and whatnot. But, you know, the goal is to move up to double A. Um, I like the idea of being a team's broadcaster versus independent, um, a network. Right. That's just me personally. I like the relationships that I make with these guys. And I think that's what, um, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like sets me apart. Um, I mean, a lot of other people have these relationships, but that's the part that I like. That's the, getting all these fun stories and that stuff. I don't know. It's, it's hard to explain why it is, but I just prefer that, I think. Because I remember, you know, you were talking to Logan on the uh, Say the Damn Sport podcast, and mm-hmm. I know you have another lady that has basically almost this, the same first name as you, so you basically, you and her had basically differentiate yourself since you, since there's, another lady with the same name, well, not the same last name, but the same first name as you. That was in the office. Yeah, yeah, so. Unless unless that's changed. It is, so she actually is with the Trash Pandas now in Alabama. What? Yeah, they're, they're, who are they affiliated with? I think they're the double A of the Angels. So she, she's originally from Tennessee and she wanted to get back home. She's one of our assistant general managers and she left in November. 
it was. So I'm the only Jill, but people still call me JG instead. Um, just they said out of respect for the old Jill, I can't call you Jill. And I'm like, I that makes no sense. But whatever, I'll respond to whatever you call me. Um, but no, my email's still Jillian at rawhidebaseball.com, not Jill, um, which kind of confuses sponsors and whatnot. But for the most part, everyone knows me as Jill. So you say you want to get to do sidelines. Any particular thing you want to do, like college football, basketball, is there, or does it really matter as long as you get sideline reps in, if you can yeah, get it? Yeah, it doesn't matter to me. I think the easiest would be football because that, yeah, sometimes wouldn't inter- want to interfere with the season. But then again, football does start early. So I don't know. It'd be hard. I might have to be like a fill-in or something, or I don't know, but – you know, there's there's you know, Fresno State, Bakersfield, and whatever. So I'll make the drive to those. Um, we'll see. It's it's something that I want to do. I haven't really looked into it. This past off season was pretty crazy, um, and I was gonna try to look into it now, but hard to do that. Um, yeah. So what things are you working on as of now to get more content? to try to keep fans engaged until there's some type of an announcement on if the season's going to start or if, yeah. if the Cal League has actually, you know, thought of any safety measures or what their next what their next move should be to get mm-hmm. the season underway. Yeah, so in terms of social media, we're just trying to keep our sponsors happy. So we have um, day of the week promotions. Mondays are our bark and brews. Tuesdays are two for one, that kind of thing. And we have sponsors for each day of the week. So um, every day I'm posting something kind of related to that and plugging the sponsor, trying to keep them happy um, for all of our local restaurants. We're trying to tell people, you know, eat local, go do that. Our front office staff members get food from a local sponsor I tell them to send a picture to me and I'll post it on social that kind of thing um just trying to keep people happy trying to keep kids engaged because we know how hard it is to be homeschooled right now it's hard for the parents (laughs) it's hard for the kids because it's they can't get they can't see their friends um so we're trying to post some kids stuff we're Mm. trying to keep our kids club members happy by like posting on their birthdays and stuff like that so um that's the main stuff and then in terms of me getting better like I said earlier I just want to keep improving my interview skills with the players so that's what I'm working on um yeah so how do you feel like the podcast for the ride has come along or is that something that's still in the works or is that something that's already going with these interviews and things like that for fans to, you know, listen, to get, to get an idea, you know, about the players that whenever the season starts, they'll get a chance to see and folks can, you know, have an idea about their favorite team. Yeah, I think we talked about doing a podcast uh, because our owner, Sam Siegel, he's a former broadcaster. And so he kind of wanted to do something. He thought it'd be fun. Uh, but these interviews are kind of taking the place of it right now. Um, they're just on YouTube. It's not exactly a podcast or anything. Uh, we might get one during season, not entirely sure yet. 
Um, you know, everyone's kind of preoccupied with a lot of other stuff right now. So it's hard to even think about that. Um, the good news is with the video board, we're going to have a lot more promotional stuff. So we'll get some awesome. fun videos of the players doing that. And I want to post that on social media. My, my goal this year is to have the players be a little bit more on social media. I'm not exactly sure how I want to do it yet, but we have a really good group of guys. They're a lot of fun. They're, they're great content, honestly. And I want our fans to get to know them personally. I want, to, I want them to know them. Um, we have a season ticket holder, Amanda, and she knows all of the players pretty personally because, you know, we have a very small stadium and she gets to know them. And I want, I, I told our owners, I want all of our fans to know them like Amanda does. So that's, that's my goal this year, whenever it does happen. I want them to see their quirky personalities. Sure. Let the, you know, let the players shine and let them, you know, get to be engaging and let the fans, you know, who know who they're dealing with and who their favorite players could be and who the future stars of tomorrow will be eventually at some point. Yeah. Because I, I know for a lot of teams, it can be hard to even get one thing out of the player because like, oh, what do they want now? I mean, with <clears throat> the media and the broadcasters and everything else, but I mean, I think you said it best when you you needed to get to know them so you could get a trust factor with them. Mm -hmm. And I know in the first year that was hard. Do you feel like this year with all the players that you know that you knew from last year, plus the players that are, you know, that are there again this year, maybe some players have to come down to get rehab. Mm -hmm. How do you keep up with all the, the players that could come down or – if, you know, they had to do a rehab standard, vice versa. Yeah, I don't really talk to the guys who have to do rehab too often. Um, we really only had one positional guy for, uh, in terms of major league rehab. It was Blake Swihart, and I got to, I knew him from the Red Sox for a little bit, so that was an easy transition for me. And he was around the batting cages, so I introduced myself to the batting cage. It's when it's a pitcher when it's hard because they're usually starting that day when they get in and you don't really want to talk to guys when they start and all of that. So it's, it's tough. And I had a few of that too, when guys would get called up from Kane County, the uh, low A ball team and they were starting that day and I didn't want to talk to him. And sometimes I would, depending how early he was. And I could see that he was kind of like just joking around talking to people and whatnot um, in the clubhouse. But I think that was difficult for me, but this, honestly, this year's going to be a breeze when it comes to my <laughs> um, getting to know the players, just because I know that half of the guys that we ended with last year will probably start, and I have, I mean, at least I think I have a decent relationship with all of them, Sure. and sure. so that will set the tone for the guys, you know, I'm not going to go in, like, super uh, I, overly I friendly or anything like that, but I'll, they'll see that you know, I can be trusted, I can be talked to and whatnot. And I'm there, I'm there to help them. You know, if they need something, I, I am there to help them if they need it. And I think that'll be a much easier transition because I don't have to prove myself to anyone. We have the same coaching staff for the most part. We're just switching a fourth coach. Um, and I've heard good things about him. Uh, we are going to get a new athletic trainer, strength coach, and clubhouse manager. So I think the clubhouse manager will be the one that I need to work on my relationship with them. Right. Uh, just because he, the last one, last year, Noah, he helped me a lot. He helped me out a lot because he was with Visalia for a few years. 
So basically, except with all the players coming back, a few coaching change, a few coaching changes, and a few people. So basically, yeah, you do have a pretty easy, and I know it's much easier when you have an idea of who the players that are back compared to the new players that you really had to, at the beginning, you had to prove yourself, but now you don't have to do that because everybody's back. So it makes yeah, things a lot easier for you. Yeah, especially with the manager coming back, Sean Roof, because I mean, it's the coaching staff that sets the tone on how you are supposed to react to the media and react to the front office. And, and it's, it's weird for me because I'm not media. I am, but I, I'm PR. When I go into the clubhouse, a majority of the time, it's for PR reasons. Right. The majority yeah. of the time, it's for that stuff. When I need them for promotional shoots, that's community relations. It's really just the interviews and stat packs when I'm the broadcaster. So it's 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 an interesting dynamic that way, too. Um, but Sean Roof, Shane Lukes, Travis Denker, and Nick Evans, they were a coaching staff last year, and they were awesome. They made sure that, you know, everyone was respectful and that if I need an interview, they made sure that they were available, that kind of thing. So it was, it was all good stuff. I'm trying to think, wasn't Shane Luke a pitcher somewhere at one point? Because that name sounds familiar. Yeah. 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 He was a major league pitcher. He was kind of, he, uh, gosh, I should know which games he was on. He moved around a lot. I want to say angels at one point. I think so. I could have sworn he was in the Pacific Coast League for a little bit because I remember that name. I know it was in the PCO for a little bit, if my math is right. Yeah. And I know it was see. in so many different leagues, but Angels, I can't remember off the top of my head. That's right. Angels, Giants, and Tigers. Okay. And he debuted in 02 with the Tigers. Okay, so he debuted with the Tigers. Okay, because I knew that name sounded familiar, and I guess that would mean he is the pitching coach for the squad, if my math is correct. Mm-hmm. Since yep. he deals with the pitchers, how good do you think the pitching staff is going to be this year for the ride? We'll see. I mean, last year, pretty solid. Uh, if the guys that I think are going to come back to start the season do, I think it'll be fun. They have a lot of young talent. Um, mm. we'll, we'll see. I think – the three that I'm thinking off the top of my head, they're all younger than me. So it'll be, it'll be a good year that way in terms of young prospects and being de- being developed and all that. Um, but Shane's a really good pitching coach and that he's pretty laid back. He's really smart, but he lets the guys kind of do what they want. If they want to throw a bullpen on their third day, fourth day, whatever, he lets them make that choice. He lets them decide. He, he'll give them suggestions of what he thinks, but in the long run, he says, you know, it's your career. You do what you feel is best and you know your body best. So he's just, he's good. And he has a lot of good relationships with them. And I've talked to a few of the guys and they said when they found out he was coming to Visalia last year, they were excited to work with them. So it's, he's, he's pretty damn good. <laughs> and the manager you told me <clears throat> from last year to this year, what do you feel like with your working business relationship? What do you feel like when you've worked with him? Like, what do you feel like you've gotten out of him that's made you a better broadcaster with this job? Hmm. He's always willing to help too. Um, from talking to other broadcasters, it sounds like they're the ones that they go into the 
um, clubhouse and get the lineups and everything. And Sean always sends me the lineups. He sends me the lineup and he sends me sometimes the visiting team's lineup before the visiting broadcaster even has the lineup. So he's, he's really good. He's always there to help me. And he and I kind of had a candid conversation in February before the season started last year. And he kind of said, you know, like, I'm here to help you with whatever you need. And, you know, if you ask me a question, I'll tell you, but there might be some stuff where I ask you not to say on air. And like, I expect you not to do that. And, you know, it's, it's again, like kind of walking that fine line where does me saying that a player got scratched late because he showed up late, does that really mean anything that like, there's no reason to do that because the Diamondback, um, the people in the minor league system, they, they listen, the Diamondbacks listen and you don't want to, you know, they might be thinking about moving this kid up and then they hear that he slept in too late and they don't want to move him up. And it's, it's, it's a weird dynamic that way where you kind of need to pick and choose what's going on. But, you know, if a player's scratched because he's hurt, you kind of have to say that after he's been placed on the IL the next day, that kind of thing. So it was really just being candid with him. Um, but luckily that stuff didn't happen very often. We had a good group of guys and it was pretty easy working with all of them. Why not? Probably taking up more than, you know, the time that I should have, but no worries. thanks for the chat and hopefully we get a chance to, hopefully next time we get to do this chat, it'll be a little, A, it'll be a little easier and B, we'll actually have games to talk about and hopefully, yeah. <laughs> oh, and hopefully we'll all, we'll both be on successful tracks for our respective sports that we deal with. Yep, hopefully. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Luther. You got it.